Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence 2.0. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. If you wish to subscribe to us here at Connecting with Coincidence, please like and subscribe to us on whatever channel you're looking at us in, especially YouTube. And if you are watching us on YouTube, please write us one of your coincidence stories in the comments section. We will reply. Take a moment with me and imagine imaginal cells. Yes, imaginal cells. They exist in caterpillars to transform the dying caterpillar into a butterfly. Think of a caterpillar living on a leaf. It eats the entire leaf and then no more food. The soft body begins to liquefy into goop as the cells die. The dying cells activate imaginal cells that are attacked by the dying animal's immune system, but the imaginal cells fight off the immune attacks. For a while, the imaginal cells function independently, but then they start vibrating at increasingly similar frequencies. They come together as one to create the magnificent flying being that is the butterfly. We human beings are like the dying caterpillar. We are eating up our habitat, our earth. We need imaginal individuals to begin vibrating at similar frequencies to recognize each other and come together, to begin vibrating at similar frequencies to recognize each other and to come together as one to create a beautiful creature like that butterfly that lives lightly on the earth. A new science of synchronicity, which we'll talk a bit about today, will help imaginal people recognize each other. Richard Grossinger was born in New York City, attended Amherst College and the University of Michigan with a BA in English and a PhD in anthropology. He has more than 40 published books and his four main topics being non-Western medicine, cosmology, embryology, and consciousness. With his wife, Lindy Huff, he was founding publisher of North Atlantic Books, which he ran for 45 years till he was removed by a cancel culture cabal. He is now curator of the Sacred Planet Books at Inner Traditions. Their children are Miranda July, a multimedia artist, and Robin Grossinger, an urban ecologist. They live in Bar Harbor and Portland, Maine, Richard is the author of Bottoming Out the Universe, which contains valuable discussions of synchronicity. One of his forthcoming books is titled Dream Times and Thought Forms, to be published by Inner Traditions next year. Welcome to the show, Richard. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, 
Bernie started off as my author at, at Inner Traditions. And, uh, and when I saw a book on synchronicities, I immediately was excited by it. Now was- realizing I hit the mother load of synchronicity. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am kind of in the middle of it. That's true. Um, Let's talk about synchronicity, sinkholes, and Richard Grossinger. Well, I'm not sure they're mine. uh, Maybe I coined the term. Um, But long before I ever showed up on Mount Desert Island, which is where Bar Harbor is, um, the people were talking about either coincidences or synchronicities or just weird things happening all the time there. And I mean, this was among lobster fishermen and, and people in uh, repairing cars and stuff. It was, it was conversation. And I realized, well, Sedona gets all the reputation, but this place is just as full of this stuff. And ultimately after I start, maybe 10 years after I started coming back here, I started a psychic group that met one night a week. And I, as people brought their stories, I coined the term synchronicity sinkhole. Um, in fact, I was just thinking when, when you, I don't know, this is sort of like a, a synchronicity collision of sorts, but you're in Charlottesville, right? Right. Virginia. And the main, and since Lindy and I moved back to Bar Harbor a year ago, the main people we hang out with is um, a young couple who's, um, and her parents built a house on one of the big lakes on Mount Desert Island. And, um, and, the, and but they're not using it. So she and her partner came from California and they've been living there since. And with them, we've kind of formed a group exploring all sorts of consciousness related things and metaphysical and and plus all the cultural and political change that's going on. So the Charlottesville connection, I've never been to Charlottesville, but the Charlottesville connection is there. Um, so the, I, I, who came from Charlottesville, her parents? Uh, her parents are still there. They haven't oh. come to see, they haven't even come to see the house they built yet. Huh. Wow, yeah. move the kids to Bar Harbor. Huh? So yeah. and for around that Charlottesville connection, that house, you've built this group or created this right. group. And yeah. I imagine some of the stories are uh, synchronicity stories. Yeah. And Bernie and I talk, have talked on and off about do it when we did this show and he's taken. I mean, I just love the idea of a synchronicity sinkhole, which is what I, you know, my name for Mount Desert, I guess. And um, and so. He asked me, he said, well, we usually begin these shows with a synchronicity story. And I guess my, I was thinking they're so tiny, each of them, it's the collection of them. Yeah. And the one I most remembered um, was, I don't know how many years ago, must've been eight years ago in that range. Um, I was on the phone with our daughter, who is, as you mentioned, a movie director in LA. And she was talking about a college friend of hers uh, who had been an aspiring actress in LA, but had kind of given that up and decided to go to graduate school instead. And in order to kind of study the sort of um, edgy art form that Miranda herself was doing and that she had gone, I guess she had gotten into a program at the University of Wyoming, which seemed kind of remote, Um, but 
Um, it was kind of sort of intriguing. And then I went out that day to hike one of the many trails because it's a national park there, Arcadia Park. And this was a pretty long trail that went up one of the mountains about 1500 feet. And at a, at a resting place, there were, there, was, there were two women and I sat down to rest and we got into a conversation and one of them turned out to be the thesis advisor or, or the advisor to, and thesis advisor to be of this woman who had, just, um, who had just started school there. And I just heard about that morning. And that was the most striking of them. I was also thinking of the time I was walking with a friend. Yeah, and let me, hold on just a second. I just want to be clear um, that the person who went to Wyoming to get uh, to go to school was who? Was a friend of our daughter. A, a friend of your daughter. Oh. So a friend of your daughter's goes to Wyoming to go to school and needs a thesis advisor. And the thesis advisor ends up sitting down next to you uh, in Bar Harbor, Maine, on your uh, hike up there. Okay. Yeah, on the same day I heard about it. On the same day you heard about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are. I'm hoping we get the little thought form talking about that. This yeah. is this is why I want to be able to get it clear for our our, our audience that that what it was was daughter friend Wyoming then Bar Harbor thesis advisor. Okay, yeah. we got it. Yeah, good. I, I, a, a small one was, I, I can't remember what I was discussing with a friend on the trail, but it, was, it wasn't an obvious thing. It was a fairly obscure thing. And we passed two other people hiking and coming in the opposite direction who were discussing the same thing. Um, and we just looked at each other and, you know, well, wow. But I was looking through my writings to see if I had another one, if I had anywhere written it. I'd simply searched the word synchronicity and came up with one other that I'd written about. Um, and, 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 and again, I'm going to I'm going to because I, I like these stories so much that that you're walking along and you hit the same uh, conversation uh, from somebody else that you're having with the person you're walking with. I yes. had I had one of those two uh, riding across riding my bike on a bridge waiting for another bike rider with who's with me to come. And I'm thinking of something. I was thinking of something. And the person who walks by is talking about the same thing with the person next to her. And these are indications of our interconnectedness. And that's why they're so important. These small things show how interconnected we are. They're markers for the cartography of the psychosphere. So please please tell us your next uh, story. Yeah, well, um, I only have one more in the sequence, the one I found. Yeah. Um, we were, we were, Lindy and I were going to a yoga class uh, in the early evening. And I decided there was time to do a hike in the afternoon. And I picked a really obscure trail. I mean, there've gotta be hundreds of trails basically in that park. I picked a really obscure one quite far away from our house and from the yoga class. And um, then got off on a loop of it that was even more obscure than the trail itself. Um, and who do I run into, but the yoga teacher is going to teach the class. <laughs> uh, and 
Um, she she teased me. She said, "What are you doing here? You aren't coming to class." And I'm I'm not good at yoga at all. I'm probably the worst in the I was the worst in that class. And I said after we parted, I said. Um, don't be late for the class. And she said, well, if I miss it, you can teach it, <laughs> you know, which was ri ridiculous. But that, that was, um, there, there are so many others of these, which I don't remember. And I think the fact that at a certain point you stop remembering them or you don't consider them special is somewhat indicative of the fact that we live in that psychosphere that you talk about. Um, and, um, and that we, we take it for granted in a sense, as remarkable as it is, and as, as inexplicable by conventional logic. Um, and I was thinking to, to bridge a little bit to stuff we've talked about outside of this discussion, that, um, that pretty much all the synchronicities um, cut across other, other kind of paranormal aspects of reality in different ways. I mean, some of them are just pure synchronicities, but, and I explored this most fully in Bottoming Out the Universe, but I also, in, in an earlier book, The Night Sky, wrote a lot about um, Jung and Pauli's um, correspondence back and forth, Carl Jung and, was it Wolfgang Pauli? Uh, yes, corresponded yes about Wolfgang. There's a Princeton University. And Wolfgang was a was a, a, a quantum physicist, one of the yeah. early ones who got the Nobel Prize for the the the, the Pauli uh, um, uh, principle. There's a Pauli principle yeah. he, he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, and so you had the a psychologist and a physicist who both felt that this was really key to any understanding of how the universe worked, and they were working together. And they particularly paid attention to astrology, as did Arthur Young. Do, do you know of Arthur Young? He, he was the inventor of the Bell helicopter from which he earned enough money that he didn't really have to work the rest of his life. And he set up an institute in Berkeley for the study of consciousness. And he kept um, really um, assiduous astrological records of, of where he was trying to find find to understand the links between like astrological predictions about people and the people themselves. And that's one, but I was also thinking that obviously telepathy plays a role because um, certain, certain synchronicities could be explained as telepathy. Like if somebody was having a conversation and and you were approaching them on the trail, it's possible that you could, without knowing it in your conscious mind, in your, in your unconscious, you could be drawn to the same topic. And probably, probably more, a fair range of synchronicities could be um, at least kind of tentatively explained by that. Um, yeah, I, was, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, and when I hear your stories on the trail, I think of the, the, the people involved being in a bubble, uh, mm -hmm. a, a bubble that is somehow created by their energy and mind fields and that they are, they come, as they come closer together, the, those mind fields begin to emerge, merge with each other and they begin to share thoughts in what could be called a telepathic way. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I was like, I was musing on, and I write about this in Bottoming Out the Universe, because I write about the about Bridie Murphy, which was sort of the first, the first past lot, big past life drama to hit America in the 50s. And, um, and it was dismissed after they discovered that the woman, I forget her name, the woman in Denver who under hypnosis um, remembered a past life as Bridie Murphy in Cork, Ireland, after, she, after they discovered that she lived across the street in childhood in Chicago from a woman named, I think it was Bridie Murphy Cockrell. And they thought, oh, well, it's just, um, it's just an altered memory from childhood, a free association. And they completely, they completely abandoned her past life story despite its very compelling nature. And they never considered the possibility that there could be a synchronicity working with a past life memory. <laughs> and yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. So here's, here's when, when Bernie asked me to think about synchronicities, the first thing I hit upon was something I wouldn't quite call synchronicities, but maybe uh, serendipity is not a bad word, but it's something about how one's life is guided. I feel as though most of the conscious, um, like functional pragmatic decisions I've made vis-a-vis -vis goals have not worked out. And that the things that have worked out have been the chance things that have seemed almost guided. Um, many of them, um, many of them, kind of starting off in exactly the wrong place in the wrong direction. For instance, even recently being cancel cultured by a press, my wife and I started led me to Inner Traditions, which is a so much more better and resourceful press that allows me to published such a wide range of people, including you. And, and, um, and that, that would not have been the way I would have chosen to get there. We've been watching a crash landing on you, the South Korean uh, serial, which is very beautiful in its way. And at one point, the, uh, the woman who is paraglided by accident and it's in North Korea, um, in the soldier who becomes a romantic partner, are discussing their lives and they talk about how you get on a train and it's going to the wrong station and then that turns out to be the right station and the only train you could have taken to get there. And I think that that's a subset of synchronicities. And that's more what I find when I look at the story, the narrative in my internal narrative of my life, that the most counterintuitive ways of getting to things have led to the to things I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I would have wanted to reach or thought to reach more directly. Um, but um, here's the, here's the those what, those are those are very important uh, descriptions, and they they fall into a category that uh, I call human GPS, uh, getting to where you need to be without knowing how you got there. That there is an inner guidance system in us. It, it seems like it comes from the outside and we're being guided, which is partially true, I think. But there's also in us the ability to locate where we need to be. With that. And then we do, we bumble along what it seems to be bumbling along and get the, to where we need to be without knowing how we actually did it. 
Yeah, and the knowing often will get in the way. So. And conscious knowing will do it intuitively, feeling it is what helps us do it. And that's that inner guidance system, which uh, we want to attribute to a higher power, to which some degree there is. But I like to emphasize the power within you to make it's the wrong, to make the, to make the wrong, what, pardon? That is the higher power. I mean, <laughs> in God's image, in that sense. Well, I've got some other ideas about how that works. We each have a, in the psychosphere, a higher self, which is yeah. communicating to us and seeing things more broadly than we can see right down here yeah. on Earth. Sort of like Anthony Peake's use of the diamond. Yeah. 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 Um, here was the, what to me has always been the most startling synchronicity of my life. And it has, it has this slight other counterpart too. Um, in 1972, I, uh, for seven years, I taught college, first in Maine and then in Vermont. And when we moved from Maine to Vermont, we moved to a new house. And then I had not started the publishing company yet. I just had a journal called IO, which had was literature and the paranormal and the cross-cultural. And I had a subscription book, which was actually a big ledger book that I took from my father's business and you'd open the pages and I would, I would keep track of the subscribers in that book. And when somebody, um, and also if somebody bought just a single issue, they went in the book in hopes of their becoming a subscriber. But after a while, if they didn't subscribe, I whited them out and use the so that pe so people know what whiting out is because oh, it's, right, it's yeah. an ancient idea <laughs> correction fluid yeah right it, there was there was an th ink like thing you still got one i was looking to see if i had it but i don't actually well it's uh, it, it, describe uh, what whiting out is you know it's like it's like something you bought at a stationery store a little container and you took it out and had a brush and you brushed over it with yeah, white. Yeah, that's and right. For it to dry and then you could write over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I even remember the person's name. His name was Jay Zipper. And Zipper? In, yeah. And he lived in Pennsylvania. And I guess it had been like more than five years since he had bought a single copy of one issue back when we were living in Ann Arbor. So I whited him out and wrote in the name of a new subscriber that day when the doorbell rang. And of course, you know what's coming here. I went down and it was the summer before the term started. And it was a student who had come for their summer ecology program and um, run by, founded and run by the inimitable Murray Bookshin, which would make a whole other set of stories. But anyway, the student, I said, no, no, this is our house. We're not renting rooms. And he said, well, can I give you my name uh, in case, you know, whatever. So yeah, sure. Jay Zipper. No, not the same Jay Zipper who used to, who once bought an issue. Yes, the same Jay Zipper from Pennsylvania. Yes, the same that Jay one, <laughs> that one. That one confounds me. But when I told it back in that era, people were very involved in uh, what became chaos magic. And, and especially Alice to Crowley's version of it. And it was immediately shown to me that in one ceremony, you erase a name in order to cause the person to manifest. 
So <laughs> I, I thought about I thought about that, and now in the context of this, that's yet another kind of place where synchronicity overlaps with a different system of thought. Um, the, the coincidences in general, which serendipity and synchronicity are part of, are clues to how reality works. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and one of the and one of the main things that I picked up from you right away in our in when we began talking is that you like Jung, like Pauli, and and you know, not to put myself automatically in this lofty category, but I too think that synchronicity is not is not just um it's not it's not just a chance. It doesn't fall under the algorithm, which many people try and put it. The, uh, the algorithm, algorithm is what rules all thinking today. And usually, the, usually people who are scientifically oriented apply algorithms to try and show how things happen. But I also don't, th don't think that, I mean, there's a very wide tendency to just say synchronicity, young, and to think it ends there as if that explains every, every, everything. And in Bottoming Out the Universe, I explored, um, I used um, ideas from John Friedlander, whose work we, we both know of, who's a psychic um, um, who studied with Jane Roberts when she was channeling Seth, and um, which was is a kind of, collective entity that Roberts channeled in the 70s. And many books of this channeling were published, probably 20 different books. Um, and they were very popular in, in the 70s, not so much now, although they could be. Um, there's nothing in them that couldn't be popular now. But John developed his own system using the Seth channelings, the ideas in them, and also his own studies of Buddhism, theosophy, and um, and just the world itself. John has a law degree from Harvard as well, so he has a, a mixed background. And John likes the term thought form, which comes, I forget if it comes directly from Seth or if that's a, um, a, a kind of creation of a term to explain what Seth is, um, is talking about. And it also is a translation, I think of it, it's, I think it's Tibetan Buddhist term. I think um, it is, I think it is. And it's, it's a really powerful concept, the thought form, um, because right away, if you look at the word, um, it has in it both thought and form, both mind and matter. And in some sense, it relates to Jung's use of the term psychoid, which was for borderline entities that to Jung's mind existed, but needed, needed us, our projection onto them to bring them into this frame of reference. To, and UFOs were, have always been the best example of that. Um, they clearly exist. And now it's, it's been pointed out, it's been acknowledged by governments. And yet the, for all their appearances and even leaving behind debris, they won't come into this framework, and they're not necessarily uh, interstellar travelers. That's that's a um, a kind of um, linear conclusion about who they are, what they are, and where they come from. But thought forms 
if we think of them in terms, if we kind of go backwards out of synchronicity, thought forms are thoughts that, um, how would I say it? They're, um, they're what, I, I guess I'd say it this way, because every time you come to a concept is different. Every day we're interacting with reality, which is a form. And we mostly notice its concrete form aspect and its thought process in us separately. I guess you might say it's epistemology and its ontology are, are separate of each other. But in the notion of thought forms, um, this in, in the biggest sense, this entire reality is created as a thought form. Um, you know, where does this reality come from? In, in science, there's one answer. There was a big bang, you know, 13.8 billion years ago. That is an explosion in the middle, as Terence McKenna once said, in the middle of nowhere for no reason. Everything exploded. And, and, then, and then as stuff sorted out, it randomly produced this, this physical realm in which we exist as sort of molecules who, which hallucinate mirages. And those mirages are what we consider reality, but we're made of energy and they're made of energy. And the whole, this whole thing is somewhat of a, of a kind of fraud in which we convince ourselves we're real and that what we're engaged with is real. But if you come at it from the more Buddhist or Hindu point of view that they're, that from the beginning, these are thought forms and that the Big Bang is our, our perception of the emergence of thought forms. And if you look at the evolution of our species, um, the first hominids um, had to, had to de deal with their own growing consciousness from, from enlarged cerebral cortices. They, got more information and they began to make tools. And at the same time, they developed a forms of magic. And the two magic and science were the same at that period. I, they didn't distinguish I, the, 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 the word, the, it's Greek, I think, the Greek word scientia combines both science and magic. They that's what they practiced. And they, um, they eventually um, developed um, um, they developed the modes kind of simultaneously. And my idea is that there isn't really a distinction between the thought forms that went from tools to bronze to plastics to fiber optics, and the thought forms that went from uh, you know to magic to medieval magic to alchemy. Uh, to the, the present day parapsychology and paraphysics and also the physics of quantum physics that, all, that because what lies behind them is, is, a, is, is a process that's neither purely mind nor purely matter, but is a thought form, is thought and form together shaping each other. Um, in a sense, um, probably one of the oldest original ideas I had going back to the late 60s um, when I was studying anthropology was that, um, that this whole civilization we have today was projected out of um, Stone Age shamanism, only they didn't know what they were projecting. They wanted 
they wanted food, they wanted safety, they wanted transportation, and they got it. And it took how many 50,000 years or 100,000 years to project it. And you could say, oh, well, they also evolved. We have the entire archeology span and science of how this went step by step by step. And my point, and I have a whole chapter about this in Bottoming Out the Universe, is that there's no difference between the two. These are two processes working um, at just different, different frequencies. Um, at and, the in, and, in, and in parallel. And parallel. And in parallel. And, and let's, 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 there's a basic point here in uh, what you're saying that applies to us humanoids right here. Uh, the ability of uh, the ancients, uh, however far back you want to go, to imagine, because imagining is what we're talking about, imagination creates thought forms. And as we look at what we mean by thought form, the form, yes, that's the form part is material, but what is a thought? And a thought still comes down to some form of energy. So it's to me the what you mean by form is almost like energy rather than something solid. So it's an idea encased or integrated with energy. So it's energy information that we can create out of our own minds, which we can call thought forms because that has a nice ring to it too, because it gives a kind of border to the concept of what we're thinking about. So that means that you, that I, can create reality through what we imagine. And I'm thinking about what we send out there, that we can have a thought like a bubble that has form and content in it and send it out there. And in creating coincidences sometimes, it means you must let it go like a child going out into the universe or into the world around you and let's see what happens because sometimes it'll become what you think it is. Yeah, I would. Uh, it's like in John's model, John Friedlander's model, um, that he uses the Theosophical Seven Planes of Consciousness model and the um, reality to way oversimplify it. This comes out of Hinduism, but then was used by the Western theosophists. Um, that, um, that, that the laws of reality are created in the Atmic realm far beyond us. And then they come down, I guess the next realm below that, I haven't thought about this for a while, but I think the Buddhic realm is below the Atmic realm. And in the Buddhic realm, everything is synchronous. Everything is tied together and overlaps. It's the realm of unity consciousness that Buddhism itself reaches toward. And then the next realm below that is the causal realm. And that's where things start to get organized in cause and effect. Um, and from there, they pass into the second half of the mental causal plane, which is the mental part, where um, we begin to organize these processes and, and we experience that daily, but there still are between us and the formation of the reality we know, there's the astral realm and the etheric part of the physical etheric realm. And it's too complicated a cosmology to get into here. But the notion, the notion uh, in that same chapter in the book, I, I kind of gave a short summary of this, but the, the idea um, 
the idea is that in at a higher level, maybe not higher, but subtler level at a different frequency, it's all synchronicity because everything is overlapping, kind of the way um, heat and cold and matter and energy overlapped in the Big Bang. Everything is, everything is telekinetic. And then it gets sorted down. John says that every night when we sleep, it's in dreams that we sort through, through the reality that we're in the process of creating. And how, how, do, how do thought forms and synchronicity come together? Uh, how are well, they that, related? I, I was, these, these conversations are, you try and keep them a little bit formal and also- Yeah, diffuse. yeah, yeah, right. So a new idea occurred to me while I was thinking about that, going back to that synchronicity about Wyoming. Good. Um, the, um, and I guess because I'm talking to you, who's a psychiatrist, and so you have Freudian roots somewhere. I do. I, I was married to a past president of the American Psychoanalytic Association for a while. So, yeah, I have some roots. Yeah. Well, I always say, you know, Freud, I think, gets gets a bad press. Because, he does. Because um, the profundity of the some of the things he proposes, proposed, shouldn't be overridden by some of the theories he made out of, out of them. And the nature of the unconscious and even wish fulfillment, um, I mean, an in interpretation of dreams where he talks about the uses of wish fulfillment in, in dreams yeah. is, is a really, I mean, it's a seminal study that is very much tied into what we're talking about. And I was thinking about how you could say how is a synchronicity, a wish fulfillment tra transferred by a thought form? Good. And, and it occurs to me that like you could say, well, how is that Wyoming example, an example of wish fulfillment? Well, it is in that if, we're, if, if our aura and our psyche is fed by, um, by recognition that it's existing in a, in a realm uh, of thought forms, then the uh, wish fulfillment is to take very like, like um, as you say, incredibly minor things in terms of one's overall life and constantly feed those in as a reminder that, um, that, this, is, that this is the world we live in. And you, and you keep getting the, this feedback that's telling you unconsciously that, that the life of the soul is okay, that the soul is protected, even in this very stormy um, materialistic algorithmic place, that the soul still exists. So you're fed, these, um, you're fed these absurd connections. And although the mind, the intellectual mind might dismiss them, the soul doesn't dismiss them. The soul recognizes them for what they are. Which is, which is hints of something far greater yeah. than what we are thinking about walking along on the hike. Yeah. But what, what, as I hear you talk, Richard, um, it gets me back to the imaginal cells at the beginning mm -hmm. of uh, this, our conversation, that, that we, the fu there's fun in being uh, in this three-dimensional place and having this seemingly illusion of being here and having solid stuff around us because now we're in danger 
I mean, danger is around. We're facing the sixth mass extinction now after the dinosaurs were eliminated by a giant comet. Now we're doing it to ourselves. And so in this drama that we are creating, we must find a way out of it to continue in this three-dimensional place if we want to. So right. we, ha we have to create thought forms that are going to be able to manage the increasingly chaotic and threatening environment that we're creating. Yeah, when you started, I mean, that was a beautiful image of the butterfly that you, you started with. Um, you, you kind of made that um, without even making it a pun exactly, you were making that using the two meanings of the word image really, it, because you're talking about the imago of the butterfly. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. like one of the pupil forms, P-U-P-A-L forms. And it immediately keyed in me that last year, um, the poet Diane de Prima died. Um, and she was somebody who I knew throughout my adult life and had many interactions with. I published her back in the early days that I had a press. And after her death, one line of hers was quoted again and again and again. Um, and it just had, it was probably 15 years old, but it just had such resonance for our moment. And I, I, I could quote it exactly if I went and looked, but I'll do a close approximation, um, I hope. The only war that matters is the war against the imagination. All other wars are subsumed in it. Good. And um, Good. that's where we are. <laughs> Good. That's where we are. Now, all these wars, all these battles across the culture and, and between different um, polarized views are ultimately um, the war against the imagination because the imagination is not allowed to free us. And you're talking about the imaginal and the importance of the imaginal in, in giving us keys into, in this three-dimensional realm. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That I, I've heard that other places. Uh, I may even come up with it myself, but something like that, where we need to be able to have the courage to imagine, because mm -hmm. yeah. there, because there's threats to imagining, and, and can we imagine? Well, clearly, I mean, that's what totalitarian states are about. It's stopping imagination. Yeah, that's yeah. the main. That's their main enemy. And John Lennon got killed after singing Imagine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's can't try to imagine. It's that's so profound. So the imagination is the is the bedrock or the creator of thought forms, which then can become reality. So mm -hmm. totalitarian doesn't want any new ideas around. It wants to keep what has been, which is their own power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to throw in another connection that hit that doesn't quite fit, but I think should be logged in this. Uh, we got it. We got it. We got about uh, 10 minutes left. So okay. go ahead and log that it is, in there. Dur during the um, 70s, I was really friendly with a parapsychologist named Jewel Eisenbach. I don't know. Sure. He, he did the dreams and yeah. uh, he didn't. Was he part of the dream group at uh, Mount Sinai or in New no, York? No, no. He, he were, his most famous uh, thing was working with Ted Serians, the elevator operator from Chicago, 
who projected uh, thought photography, it was called. When they held the camera up and took a picture, he could project an image on the Really? Do you know about that? No, 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 no. That is thought the, forms, literally. The, that's that's true. It's, that's, uh, thought, that's, that's I, what I mean. That's what I mean right there. I'm going to get the reference from you after we're finished. Okay. Keep, keep going. There was a psychical society in, um, in, in Portland, well, where I am now in Portland, Maine, and they held, they had guests and different people, Stanley Scripner spoke and Jewel Eisenbud. And it happened that Jewel was from Denver where my wife is also from. So I took to visiting him in Denver and had long conversations with him. Um, the best of which I probably quote in half the books I, I write where he speaks about the ridiculousness of war. And he says, it's, it's as if we have all this over-implementation. I need B-52 bombers. I need warheads all to cover the fact that we can kill with our minds, he said. Uh, he said, all this absurd burlesque goes on. And, and he was like a Freudian parapsychologist in that sense. Um, but anyway, in my interview with Jewel, um, we covered met much ground and he talked about the Dutch psychic Quasset, I forget his first name, famous Dutch psychic who had this thing where he would arrange, where he would go out on the street and hand out random uh, um, seat numbers, like tickets where you had a seat. Um, and he would, um, how, would the, how would this work? They, they would be handed out randomly. And so, People who would come and sit in the seats would be random, but but I, I'm forgetting the exact sequence. But the point is that even though he didn't know who the who would get the tickets, he still was able to say uh, relevant information that had a high accuracy, given the unlikelihood of any accuracy, of what the person who would sit in that seat would would like. He played a he played a tuba. That's very specific. Or he had a noisy neighbor or something. I, I don't remember all of them. But Joel went up, was, did a study of Quasset. And he said, I came to the conclusion that he doesn't foresee the future. He creates it. Ah. <laughs> and uh, he said, so I used to stay out of his way. <laughs> and that, again, crosses back to the, the notion of like uh, voodoo. And, uh, and the way voodoo works in societies that practice it, in which, um, in which um, there is a classic article, um, Walter Cannon, Voodoo Death, Do you, know, you must know that, yeah. That all of this stuff kind of overlaps and forms its own, uh, its own kind of, um, acad you know, like department of thinking that of course isn't isn't organized in any academy but except maybe in charlottesville where <laughs> where ian stevenson practiced yeah and, and uh, we have a lot of other crazy stuff going around here too besides reincarnation near death experiences there's there's a synchronicity foundation near here uh -huh. uh, there's uh, the Monroe Institute where they oh, right, right. get where people they to travel and thought for they travel in either astral or etheric realms yeah yeah, and there's Atlantic University, Edgar Casey's thing, which is three hours from here in Virginia Beach. Talk about a sinkhole. 
Talk about a sinkhole, really. I mean, this is like a vibratory craziness around here. And we got more dance episodes, at least we used to, more dance meetings than most big cities. So, but that's, that's faded. So there's, there, it's a little bit for me like being in San Francisco in the late 60s where I was. It's a little bit like there's it happens around here a lot. So there are there are sinkholes. So it happens here. But what we're talking about is the, nothing of the craziness that Charlottesville is associated with in the mass culture. And now we're having the trial right now of the, the white supremacists who marched and did a few killings right here down, you know, a mile from my house. And the trial is going on here right now. So this is a vortex of both good and evil. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important ideas about this existence, how whoever created it, is there's always something yin and yang. There's always good and bad around here. Everything contains its opposite is somewhat true. It's all there. Yeah, John says this is the astral realm laying on us. He says the astral realm is polarized but every piece of the astral realm is polarized and then every piece of that is polarized. So yeah, that's what we got. <laughs> that's what we got. And I think there's, for some reason, I think there's some enjoyment in that. Um, there's like a game in it uh, that we play with mm -hmm. it. That's why we're here or something like that. But uh, as, as we get close to having to wrap this up, Richard, the idea of our minds being able to create thought forms that then can manifest becomes a question that I ask you, how do we, what, what is the mechanics, if you will, of how a mind can do that? Um, well, I think we should start from the premise that there's more about the universe we're in that we don't know than that we do. Yes, sir. Stephen Hawking notwithstanding. And, and I mean, you just do the 95% of dark energy and dark matter. Yeah, right. You yeah. just start with that. But right, and, but we don't, we can't even describe the physical universe fully. And, and what about the idea that dark energy and dark matter are right here in your place, right there in Portland and in Bar Harbor? They're right around us. What is it? Yeah, that, um, what did, um, when, when I participated in this conference at MIT, what did this, um, woman um, call it, uh, she called it something like maybe their dark knowledge, you know, together that, that what's really missing is dark knowledge. Wonderful. Yeah. I love that. Now, so let's go to the thought forms. You just want to start with, we don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, of course, I have no idea how, how it happens, but I do know, I mean, or at least I feel that these lives we live are our best are better lived when we take on the creative possibility of our own being and and assume the impossible years ago uh, a poet um, said when who i brought to talk to my students in vermont said of course it's impossible therefore do it and that's also <laughs> that's also in in buddhism uh, like isn't that in the Heart Sutra, or is it something else that, you know, to to um, to save all sentient beings is impossible. That's the only reason it's it's worth doing because it's impossible. So I think, I think somewhere in that I would I would find my own answer to that, which is that um, that 
the very fact that we don't know what we're doing or where we are that we can't explain it is every reason to go ahead and you know splash around there because the things that we can explain do nothing but get us in trouble, which goes back to my comment about myself earlier that my intentions have never worked as well as the guidance. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think we're, we're going to end again with the assume the impossible. Okay. Uh, I think that with thought forms are such an important set of ideas that we've talked about here. And mm -hmm. it's really been fun having this opportunity to talk with you, Richard, and get to know your mind uh, yet more, uh, having read some of your books and, and thoroughly enjoy talking with Sophie, uh, who you... Oh, right. I, yeah, I'm... Uh... I like connecting people and she's one of my discover, you know, I consider her somewhat like discovering an ingenue. You okay. I agree with you. I discovered her as an ingenue also, Sophie Strand. She's and really bright. <laughs> she's really bright and so creative and so. Yeah, and what's it say what the title, uh, Inner Traditions finally arrived at a title for your book that we should say what it is too. Well, my the title of my new book coming out from inner traditions in the fall of 2022 is meaningful coincidences how how and why i forget the rest of it how and why synchronicity and serendipity happen something like that yeah but um, i like meaningful coincidences i appreciate their having coming up with that yeah, they, they put a lot of work into that, actually. Wow. And it was intention in that case. Yeah. Um, also, John Friedlander's book, you wrote a blurb for, and it's um, it'll yeah. be out more like the beginning of next year, and it's called Recentering Seth. And I forget the subtitle of that, too. It's about something about interdimensional consciousness. But, and your, your book... Uh, on dream time and thought forms is going to come out in the fall. I sometime next year. I I've stopped at, at past a certain age. You sort of feel the difference between being published and not being published isn't that great. So I kind of lose track. But but for this topic, bottoming out the universe is really a, a good book because I I had my mind set on synchronicity throughout, and also. My, my book, The Night Sky, in its last edition, which had the subtitle, A Soul and Cosmos, The Night Sky, Soul and Cosmos, which was the third edition of it, um, that it, it, because when I was cancel cultured, all my books were put out of print and pulped. Copies of that are not as easy to get, but I've, Inner Traditions will eventually bring them all back into print. But I did, I do check that one occasionally and there are still copies of that on, uh, it's not in print, but there are copies of it on Amazon and I imagine elsewhere. So those would be my sources for this topic. Thank you very much, Richard Grossinger. Thank okay. you very much. We'll, I'm, we'll be talking again. I know we will. Right. In this case, we have a project together. So We certainly do. And I think we'll have some more too. Okay, good. Take care. Take care, Richard. Bye-bye. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic conscious
Just now.